This is the KOTO Community Radio News for Wednesday, March 15th. I'm Julia Caulfield. In today's headlines, San Miguel Public Health launches new family planning services. David Quammen discusses community read Breathless. Telluride implements limits on campaign contributions and a mountain weather forecast. But first, Coto has been here almost 50 years, and we're not going anywhere. But our longevity depends on your support. As we continue to grow and serve this community, give us a hand and donate at koto.org during our winter fund drive. And thank you. If you ask Grace Franklin, access to family planning is essential to the health of a community. Our sexual health is a really important uh, part of our overall well-being and especially reproductive health, the ability to choose if and when somebody wants to have a child is one of the biggest determinants for healthy communities, healthy economies, and then individually um, healthy and empowered individuals. Franklin is the public health director for San Miguel County. This week, San Miguel County Public Health launched a new program to provide free sexual health services to anyone 24 years and younger. Public Health is working in partnership with BC4U, an adolescent family planning clinic at Children's Hospital Colorado. Anyone 24 years and younger can receive uh, pregnancy tests, emergency contraceptives, birth control, sexually transmitted infection testing and treatment, as well as education and counseling. Services are available through telehealth visits or a hybrid telehealth in-person appointment. With bc4u.org, you can access, a a person 24 years and younger can access um, telehealth or phone, so video or phone chat options with a provider anytime, Monday through Friday, with their own smartphone, their own laptop. An individual logs in, gets put into a virtual waiting room, and is connected with a medical provider. And then it's a video chat just like Zoom or Gchat or FaceTime. And from there, you can have, you you talk to the person about your concerns, what you're looking for, and the doctor will prescribe you whatever medication, whether it's birth control, an SDI test, et cetera, and they can mail it directly to your house or to a location of your choice. Franklin notes individuals are welcome to have a prescription mailed to public health for pickup, or they can opt for public health to administer the medication. The hybrid appointment works much the same way, but from the public health department. People can come to the public health department, which is the blue awning, third floor, right next to the courthouse. We also have an alleyway entrance that people can use if they don't want to go up Main Street and through the office. Um, But just say, we're here, I'm here for a BC4U clinic, or I'm here for birth control, whatever you feel comfortable saying. And we'll take you to our exam room where we have an iPad set up on this cool contraption where you don't have to hold it, but it just stays up for you. Get you logged in and set up with a provider. They're based out of Denver. And um, they'll talk to you about what you want, education, counseling, all of that. And then at the end of the visit, our public health nurse, Shannon, she'll come in um, and the provider will say, please give so-and-so XYZ item. And she'll provide birth control on site. She'll provide um, STI self-swab and they can go into the bathroom and we'll mail it into the lab or treatment. Finally, for those looking for an IUD or implant, both forms of long-acting reversible contraceptives, a BC4U provider will be in San Miguel County once a month to provide those services. Family planning services through public health are free of charge and fully confidential. 
Franklin says she understands parents might be concerned with their children receiving care without their knowledge. But she adds in the state of Colorado, by law, individuals under 18 can receive reproductive health services without parental consent or notification. That's really recognizing that not all families, um, there's a, not all kids have the same safe place to um, be able to have these conversations. And for parents that are hesitant about their kids being able to access these services without letting them know, um, I, I understand. That's, it's definitely a true concern. But really where we stand is how can we provide the education and the resources for any young adolescent, young adult to make the best choices for themselves and really have autonomy over their body, to have the tools in their tool belt to succeed if and when they need to use them. And um, overall, giving people that space to ask questions in a non-judgmental, confidential way will make us all healthier in the long run. San Miguel County Public Health hosts its clinics to provide free confidential sexual health services for anyone 24 years and younger, Monday through Friday from 9 a.m. to 12 p.m. and 1 p.m. to 5 p.m. at the Public Health Department in the Miramonte Building. Public Health is reserving Tuesdays as walk-in clinics specifically for young people. Telehealth appointments are available at bc4u.org. In early 2020, science writer David Quammen was deep in the wilds of Tasmania on a research trip when he had to travel home amidst the onset of a pandemic. Quammen had previously written on the mRNA viruses, and as the pandemic set in, his publisher asked him to set aside his other work and track the virus in real time. Those efforts became the book Breathless, The Scientific Race to Defeat a Deadly Virus, which was chosen for Telluride's annual community read event, One Book, One Canyon. Sitting down with KOTO's Gavin McGough, Kwaman recalls starting out back in the pandemic's early days. So I signed a contract in May of 2020 with a deadline a year and a half later, and I worked hard and produced this book. Wow. So you were almost doing it. You were hot on the case. I was... I had background in this field. I had connections in this realm. I knew a lot of world-class molecular evolutionary virologists. I had already been to southern China and climbed through caves with scientists who were trapping bats and looking for dangerous viruses. Not this one, but earlier dangerous viruses, such as SARS-1. Um, so yes, I, I, had my, I had my boots already deeply sunk in this particular uh, swamp. Right. And during COVID, uh, there was so much confusion amongst the general public, politicians. I mean, that's the classic tension is uh, managing to explain science to the general public as scientists are not always great at that. That's right. And scientists, scientists aren't great at that, explaining their work to the general public, but they shouldn't have to be great at that. Although there is expectation on scientists now to explain their work to the general public. I hear that from them. But one of the things I tell them is, your jobs are hard enough already. You don't need to be science writers for the general public. You just need to pick and choose how to invest your time and effort in people like me who can tell the stories of science to the general public. There's a whole guild of us. Not all of us are careful. Not all of us are accurate. Not all of us get the facts right. So the best thing I can tell scientists is pick and choose, wait for a journalist or an author 
that you have reason to trust, and then invest some time educating that person and letting that person help you tell the story of your work. COVID-19 was so politicized, both here and as your book clearly shows um, in early days in China as well. How did sort of the political nature affect your work and your approach? I decided, all right, I'm not going to write a book about the politics of COVID, at least not mainly. As you've seen, if you've read it, there's a little bit of political comment that sneaks in. I'm not going to write a book about the medical crisis, as, as serious as that is. Other people will write those books. I'm going to write a book about the virus itself, its origins, evolution, fierce journey through the human population, the science of that virus, and the scientists who study it. And those scientists, not just as scientists, but as people, as as humans, as as teachers and spouses and parents dealing with the pandemic, even as they study this virus we call SARS-CoV-2. But I found you can't talk about this subject without being coming to grips a little bit with how badly political leadership failed, particularly in this country, but not only in this country, during the early months in the first year of the pandemic. So there's a bit of that in my book. Um, did you spend the pandemic in Bozeman? I did well. But the pandemic is still going on, as far as I'm yes. concerned. Um, I could also say lockdown as a more specific. Yeah, phase. lockdown. And, yes. and you know, for for many people, that was a total interruption in life, like never before. You know, what what was it like for you personally, and what sticks out uh, to you from that time? 2020 was like nothing ever before. Yes, so uh, I didn't leave the city of Bozeman almost for that entire year. I got through 2020 on one tank of gas. That's never happened before. And I interviewed people by Zoom. My wife has become an author herself. She was working on a second book. I was working on this book. We live in a house with three dogs, a cat, and a python. That's our family. We're used to working out of the home. It had much less impact on the way we live than it did on a lot of people that we know and and uh, people across the country who, whose kids couldn't go to school and who couldn't work and who suffered much more during the lockdown than we did. We were very, very lucky. So you've come to Telluride for our One Book, One Canyon event. Um, what can you tell uh, listeners awaiting your visit and are going to see you at the library on Thursday? Uh, well, What are you going to roll out for them? I, I have... I have tipped my cards a little bit with you here this afternoon, Gavin. I'll talk a little bit more about how this book came to be, and then I'll talk about what's in the book, including the people as well as the science, some of the human characters. I also have written a book that I hope is a page-turner. I hope it will read like guilty pleasure. It's a mystery story to a certain extent. It's full of narrative. It's full of characters storytelling is just a hugely important part uh, of science writing. That was David Quammen discussing his book, Breathless. Quammen will speak at the Wilkinson Public Library on Thursday, March 16th at 5.30 p.m. for Telluride's annual One Book, One Canyon Community Read event.
Election season will, for better or worse, be here before you know it. And for the first time, there will be limits on how much an individual can put towards a candidate running for local office. The contributor as well as the receiver have limits. So um, if I was running for office, I can only receive an aggregate $400 for any, from any one person. That's Telluride Town Clerk Tiffany Cavanaugh. Earlier this month, Telluride Town Council added language to its municipal code to limit the amount of money any one donor can give to a specific candidate. Cavanaugh notes the municipal code is just one piece to determine regulations around elections. We have to abide by state law, our charter, and the municipal code. And so when it comes to campaign contributions... Um, the state law already limits state candidates and those candidates. But then when it comes to municipal, it always says check with the municipal clerk. And if you don't have campaign contributions, then there are none. So up until this point, we haven't had any campaign contributions for candidates or candidate committees. Kavanaugh clarifies a candidate is allowed to raise more than $400 as long as it's coming from different donors. Your aunt can contribute $400, your uncle can contribute $400, friends, and it just can't aggregate. So one point at the beginning of maybe your election cycle, someone can contribute $200, and then that counts towards the $400, so aggregate no more than $400. She adds when it comes to Telluride elections, the added language likely won't have a huge impact. I'd say that most candidates may not even form a candidate committee, and they just use their own money. If they do, the contributions are maybe... $250 on average. There was a few years ago where one candidate had several contributions of $10,000 or more, but that's extremely rare. So I'd say on average it's, you know, $250, $300, or they just use their own money. So I don't see it really impacting our elections that much. But she notes some communities around the state are implementing limits. Speaking at a town council meeting earlier this year, town manager Scott Robson noted it's a conversation arising for many mountain communities. We're seeing examples out there like Jackson, Wyoming, where candidates are spending $60,000 on on town council seats now and big donors are kind of coming in from the outside. And it's quite an interesting new dynamic for mountain, mountain towns. Aside from candidates running for office, town council has also shown interest in limiting contributions for issue committees. The issue committee is any um, group of two or more people that get together to basically oppose or support an issue that's on the ballot. So last election cycle, we had some issue committees filed for the 2D um, question as well as question 300. So that's an issue committee. That's who usually runs the ads in the paper and um, makes, you know, posters in support or against a certain thing on the ballot. Kavanaugh says she, along with Telluride Town Attorney Kevin Geiger, have looked into the possibility of limiting contributions to issue committees, but haven't found any precedent in Colorado. They are still researching if Telluride is allowed to make those limits as a home rule municipality. Telluride voters will elect a mayor and two members of town council this fall. During those election cycles, campaign contributions will be limited to $400 per donor. Following the time change this past Sunday, the fact that it's light out past 7 still feels like a small miracle. For many, it's a sign of spring, but it's also an invitation to spend more time on the ski hill as the season winds down. With the beginning of daylight saving time, the Telluride Ski Resort is keeping certain lifts open an extra half hour so skiers can pack in those final runs. 
Lift 5 is now open daily until 4 p.m. Lifts 1, 4, and ski access from San Sofia Station will be open until 4.30. The extended hours will remain until the end of the season, except for closing day itself, when lift closing times will revert back to regular hours. The final day of the ski season is coming up on Sunday, April 2nd. Deer, elk, and a handful of other mammals in Colorado shed their antlers throughout the winter months. The dropped antlers can make a handsome trophy for hikers and other recreators. But Colorado Parks and Wildlife is reminding residents that any collection of shed antlers on public lands in Colorado east of Interstate 25 is banned from January 1st through April 30th. Antler hunters will have to wait until warmer weather. The restriction is in place to protect wildlife populations overwintering in the vicinity of dropped antlers. It is one of a number of protections in place to reduce human-wildlife interactions during winter, a difficult time for wildlife populations, as food sources are scarce and harsh conditions tax their energy and fat reserves. Hunting for shed antlers has increased in popularity in recent years, and CPW notes the activity takes recreators right into the heart of wildlife ranges, increasing the chance of disturbance. In some areas, such as the Gunnison Basin, the ban on antler collection remains in place until May 15th. State lawmakers want oil and gas companies to conserve more water. A new bill would require companies to report their water use for increased transparency. The bill would also put limits on fresh water use in new and renewed oil and gas permits starting in 2024. Lawmakers say oil and gas producers are increasing their water use, using up to 24 million gallons of water per well last year. Water is used to lubricate drills and remove debris from wells, or to create fractures in the ground for oil and gas to flow through. Those processes leave the water extremely contaminated. Governor Jared Polis and a bipartisan group of lawmakers announced new bills on Tuesday to expand access to job training and education. KOTO's Lucas Brady-Woods reports one bill would create a new scholarship program focused on industries with worker shortages. High school students graduating in 2024 would be eligible for about $1,500 each. That money could help pay for an apprenticeship, trade school, community college, or university. Polis says it's about helping individuals and Colorado's economy at the same time. We want to make sure that more Coloradans can access good jobs. It's good for individuals to earn a living, saves them money, and it's good for our economy and necessary for our continued growth and success. Another bill would cover the cost of tuition, fees, and materials for certain associate degrees and industry certificate programs. It targets high-demand jobs like teaching, firefighting, law enforcement, forest management, and construction. I'm Lucas Brady-Woods at the State Capitol. Last month, the Utah Shakespeare Festival visited a high school in Cortez to both perform and lead workshops for students as part of their mission to perform in rural areas. For Rocky Mountain Community Radio, KSJD's Chris Clements has more. Until she come, as truly as to heaven I do confess the vices of my blood. That's Darren Frank Earl II, an actor in the festival. He's performing as Othello in the play by Shakespeare. Her father loved oft invited me, still questioned me the story of my life from year to year, the battles, sieges, fortunes that I had passed. 
The festival, which is part of Southern Utah University and is sponsored by the National Endowment for the Arts, began its Othello tour in late January. Its actors visit high schools across Utah and Colorado to show students the value in studying and performing Shakespearean texts. The visit to Montezuma Cortez High School began with a series of acting workshops with theater students on subjects like improvisation and fight choreography. Here's one on how to perform Shakespeare's plays themselves. This is our friend Desdemona. This is Othello. They are fighting because Othello thinks that Desdemona is sleeping around with his lieutenant. Desdemona's confused because um, that didn't happen at all. None of that happened at all. So uh, everyone here is confused. It's a classic miscommunication play. Let me thy handkerchief. Here, my lord. That which I gave you. I have it not about me. Rachel Jones, an actor who plays Desdemona, says it's critical for rural communities like Cortez to have the same access to fine arts as big cities like Denver and Phoenix. Us coming into schools talking about uh, why Shakespeare is important, why it's still performed, having that talk back with the kids, that is valuable education and we believe that at the Utah Shakespeare Festival, we believe that each kid, no matter where they are, deserves the same good education as the well-served communities do, or the cities do. Earl, who plays Othello, says he feels that there's a special significance to performing this particular play for audiences in isolated communities. I absolutely see the merit in talking about the othering in Othello, and how like groups of people can sometimes ostracize somebody for appearance, or their deeds, or their behavior, or their upbringing. I was really glad I got to take the Shakespearean text workshop because I honestly don't know very much about Shakespeare, and I felt like as soon as I did do the workshop, it made a lot more sense in my head. That's Mason White, a sophomore theater student at Montezuma Cortez. She and Abby Coffey, another sophomore, agree that there aren't enough opportunities for those who live in Cortez to experience performances like Othello. Um, I think that it is important for people to be able to see things like this because it like gives people more of an idea about different like cultures and like what life was like back when Shakespeare was around. After the performance, the actors come back out on stage to talk and laugh with the audience. One student in the front row raises her hand and asks Shay Jowers, an actor who's a member of the LGBTQ plus community, how they deal with being a queer actor. It can be hard at times, but uh, something I like to remind myself day in and day out whenever it gets hard, um, is that there is a place for us in theater. Um, we are telling the stories of people, and there are people like us that exist, and their stories need to be told. Um, so there is a place for us in theater. Uh, there's a place for us in the world. Um, I am not the only queer person in theater. I am not the only queer person in this cast. Um, but there, we're here. There's a place for us. For KSJD, I'm Chris Clements. The National Weather Service forecast for the western San Juans calls for snow showers tonight with a low around 25 degrees. Snow could be heavy at times with possible accumulation of 3 to 7 inches. Snow is likely to continue on Thursday with a high near 35 degrees. Thursday night calls for clouds and a chance of snow with a low around 15. Friday should bring partly sunny skies with a high near 35 degrees with a chance of afternoon showers. This has been the news for Wednesday, March 15th. Thanks for listening. If you have a story idea or a news tip, call the news team at 970-728-3206.
We would like to thank everyone who has donated to Kodo during our winter fund drive. A huge thank you to Rosie Cusack, Daniel Harlan, Phil Gachasson, Kara Pallone, Kristen Hughes, Sharon Grundy, Jeffrey White, Karen Guglielmone, Brian Wallahan, and Melinda Laurie Roddick, Amanda Baltzley, John Massey, Mackenzie Brewer, Deb Dion, Dave Johnson, Matt Hoish, Sarah Landeru, Art Good Times, Mark Abe, The Brenners, Sarah Enders, Jess Lyle, Mark Panic, Christine Ring, Scott Robson, Margaret Worth, Sephra Ballas Maples, Lenny Conway, The Cooney Family, Gino Albert, Andrew and Elizabeth Bruce. Sally Jordan, Elizabeth Lavery, and Fletcher Otwell. Thank you all so much. And now, a personal commentary. Hey, this is Teresa at the Telluride Historical Museum with your Miner's Minute. A little St. Patrick's Day trivia for you as the holiday approaches. Did you know that Telluride St. Patrick's Catholic Church was erected in 1896 and is part of the Telluride National Historic Landmark District? The church was erected under the direction of Father Cornelius O'Rourke, who was a native of Ireland. The congregation was attended mostly by Italian and Austrian immigrants. And after the church's construction, this neighborhood became known as Catholic Hill. According to the Colorado Cultural Resource Survey, St. Patrick's Catholic Church is architecturally significant for its excellent expression of the Carpenter Gothic style of architecture. Displaying excellent integrity, it's Telluride's only example of this style and is often associated with churches in mining towns throughout western Colorado. The building is also historically significant as Telluride's only remaining historic church that has not been raised or significantly altered and converted to other uses. So it's had a profound impact on Telluride's cultural development. This building is individually eligible for the inclusion in the National Register of Historic Places and in the State Register of Historic Properties. It's also a contributing resource within the Telluride National Historic Landmark District. You can celebrate St. Patty's Day with us at the Wilkinson Public Library this Thursday at 3.30 p.m. There, Dave Lamb is going to be providing some amazing Irish fiddle music in the children's program room. Also, don't forget to think spring and purchase your daffodils before our supplies run out. We are selling bundles this week at the community table from 11 to 4 through Friday the 17th. Or you can stop by the museum during our open hours. All proceeds of this fundraiser benefit the Telluride Historical Museum and the American Cancer Society. And let me tell you, the blooms are a gorgeous pop of color to get you through the final days of winter. So don't miss out. Thanks so much, Kodo. You're a rare medium. Well done. Opinions broadcast over KOTO are those of the speakers. You are also invited to express your views after the news or on access each weekday at around 4 p.m. If you would like to comment, please contact a staff person here at Kodo. We encourage you to speak out on important public issues.